It'll be great to have your Bibles open at Ecclesiastes 5. Obviously, we're not going to go through all the, the passage. Ecclesiastes is quite a repetitive book, and uh, so we're going to take some key themes out of it this morning. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we, we come to his word. Gracious Father, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. You haven't left us in the dark. And so we ask now that as we spend a few minutes looking at your word, that it wouldn't just be reading words on a page, but that your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might hear your voice, that we might be changed. Please realign us this morning with your will for us, for now and for all eternity. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, a man walks on a very hot, dusty afternoon, staff in hand. He's a first century Hebrew and his shoulders are stooped over, his sandals are covered in dirt, his tunic is stained in sweat, but he doesn't rest because he has business in the city. He sees a path but then veers off into the field thinking, I'll take a shortcut, the owner won't mind. The field is uneven and to keep his balance, he thrusts his staff into the dust and all of a sudden, thunk. He thinks, that's not a rock. What is that? Again, thunk. He peers down in his curiosity and sees some light reflecting off a sliver of gold. He jumps down starts digging and five minutes later he's uncovered a case fringed in gold. By the, looks of it's been, by the looks of it, it's been there for quite a while. He opens the case and inside is, surprise, surprise, gold, jewels, the finest of absolutely all things. Jewellery, precious stones of every colour. A treasure that he couldn't have possibly imagined. What does he do next? He closes it up, buries it back down, marks the spot, and off he goes. But now he's not stooped over. He's skipping like a little boy, extremely happy. But he has to get that treasure. He can't steal it, so what's he going to do? I know, I'll go buy that field, but I can't afford it. I know, I'll sell everything I have because that treasure is worth everything I have. So he goes and sells everything he has. From that moment, his life changes. The treasure captures his imagination. It is the stuff of his dreams. His new reference point is the treasure. It takes his whole life. If you didn't pick it up, you know that that's uh, based on something Jesus said. In Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. A few weeks ago, I shared a story about a friend of mine who was in line to inherit a few million dollars. And I don't know if you remember, I said, every time he thought about it, his heart started to beat faster. He started to sweat a little. He started to get excited by it. How about you? Would knowing that you've got a huge treasure coming to you change you? Would your life change if you knew you were going to be richer than the richest person in the world? More than you could possibly ask 
or imagine. We've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, hasn't it? Ups and downs. And the teacher in the book has set out to test all the big ticket items of life. And so we've gone through the, the big ones wisdom and education, pleasure and joys, work and rest, times of achievement, seasons of victory and challenge. And all along, we've seen that there's good things in the world. Even in our passage today, it said it's good to have money and to enjoy it here. They're not bad things, but they're not ultimate things. And the teacher has given us little sneak peeks along the way. He said, we are not satisfied with any of these things because God has put eternity in our hearts, which means he has made us to live forever, not for temporary joys. But somehow we'd much prefer the here and now. C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, we prefer mud pies in the slums when our father's mansion is down by the beach. We're far too easily pleased. And that's the purpose of Ecclesiastes, to rip open our world and say, that doesn't work, to expose it as a chasing after the wind, the mist that comes off your, uh, in your breath on a cold winter's day. Useless vapour. And today we come to wealth, and money. And there's no surprises here, really. We all know that money and wealth won't do it for us, but we're willing to give it a try. Today, God is going to realign our hearts. And the hope is that we will leave here as a changed people, that God will wean us off our stuff and back onto Him. Two things about God and two things about treasure. Firstly, make God your God. Wake up every day and make God your God. Sounds simple, but for some reason, it's a daily battle. Have a look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. It says, Guard your steps. Be careful when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they are doing. You see what this is saying? Be careful when you approach God each day because you're approaching God each day. Offering the sacrifice of fools who do not know God, that's coming to God as if you're the boss. Coming like a fool is coming as if I'm in control, not God. Look, God, what I've done for you. Look, God, at my sacrifice I've given up for you. That's coming with a sacrifice of fools. No, treat God as God, as your God. Go near to listen because God is God, and we are humans. That's what the teacher says next in verse 2. Have a look. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in, in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. God is in heaven. He rules everything. We are on earth. We rule nothing. Except we wake up each day thinking we rule everything. But no, God is cutting us back down to size. Don't be hasty in bringing anything towards God. Don't bring our arrogance towards God in our relationship with God. Verse 7 gets it right and says, Fear God, stand in awe of God, revere Him, give Him the glory that's due to Him. And I was thinking about how this impacts us as Christians you're a Christian here today, 
most of us are, we wake up and for some reason God gets sidetracked. He goes out of the centre to the kind of periphery. It's a subtle thing, but it happens. And what takes his place? That's the question, because God doesn't just move. He demands centrality. But we put something else there, and I think it's money. When we stop and think about it, what do we treasure? What are we using our lives for? I think it's money, but it's not like this guy. It's one of my favourite cartoon guys. His name's Scrooge McDuck. Anyone know Scrooge McDuck? Yep. He dives into his treasure, and I always think, man, that's going to really hurt. But Scrooge McDuck loves money for money's sake. He just loves money. He loves swimming in money. That's not us, is it? We're not that dumb. We love money differently. We love money because of what it does. What does money do? It reduces stress. Well, we think it does, at least. We think money reduces stress and gives comfort. And that's why we want it. Reduces stress and gives comfort. That's Perth, isn't it? We live in Perth, Western Australia, if you haven't worked it out already. And in Perth, Western Australia, people live like that. That's the, that's the default, to reduce stress and to increase comfort. And for us, money can become our functional God. We know money's not our God. We ask any Christians, like, money's not my God. But what's our functional God? What's the thing we wake up and actually worship, devote ourselves to? Well, I think it might be money sometimes. So it's no surprise that Ecclesiastes moves from make God your God to don't make money your God. And we think instantly, I think, well, that's not me. You're probably thinking that now. Oh, what are you talking about, Matt? This is simple stuff. Don't make money your God makes a lot of sense. But actually, I think sometimes our hearts move a little, if we're honest. Ecclesiastes tells us three things that happens when we slip into making money our God a little bit. Have a look, verse 10. Firstly, we want more of it. You've got Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money has, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So here's the test for our hearts. Ask my heart, do I want more? Do I want more? Am I satisfied with my income? Am I content with the things God has given me right now? Well, swap that around a little bit and go, well, do I give it away freely, sacrificially, to the point of which it costs me? Or just do I keep enough in the bank just to be safe? If we love it, we'll want more of it. Secondly, we'll be burdened when more people want it from us. Did you see verse 11? Interesting verse. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? It's a poetic way of saying, as your wealth increases, more and more people ask you for it and you get annoyed by it. One uh, translation says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except to watch it slip through your fingers? 
My favourite translation was this. The more loot you get, the more looters show up. And what fun is that to be robbed in broad daylight? I don't know if you remember, I uh, talked about uh, this guy called Ja Morant a few weeks ago. Does anyone remember how much money Ja Morant is going to make in the next five years? He's an NBA player, if you weren't here for, for that. That's some little basketball competition in America, right? How much money does Ja Morant, playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, going to make in five years? Anyone? No? Hundred and ninety-seven million dollars, five years. And he posted on social media, he's got it all, right? He's got it all. He posted on social media, I've got everything I dreamed of, but I can't get no peace. It's amazing, isn't it? And then all the comments were so interesting. They said stuff like, try meditation, just get stronger. My favourite was go fishing, that was a brilliant one. But others didn't give advice. You know what they did? They said, give it to me. What are you doing, mate? They were serious too. I want your money. With more money comes more people who want it. We'll want more of it. We're burdened because more people will want it from us. And thirdly, this is the big one. Verse 12, have a look. The more money you get, the more you worry about it. Verse 12. The sleep of the labourer is sweet when it, when it, whether he eats little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more you get, the more you worry about it. You see, we actually think that money gives us things. It's not true at all. Money takes. Money takes your energy. Money takes your time. Money takes your thoughts and your dreams and your sleep. More money you have, the more you worry about it. Make God your God and don't make money your God. So where does this leave us? Pretty simple stuff to say, but really hard to do. I need someone to tell me how to do this. What do you think? Maybe an expert. Maybe someone who made the whole thing up. What does Jesus say about this? How do we live this out? Jesus slaps us in the face, I've got to be honest. He slaps us in the face. He says two things. One, don't waste your life storing it up here. Don't waste your life storing it up here. John Piper tells the story of a couple who spend their lives working good jobs, raised their kids, good decent citizens, worked hard, made good money, with the aim of putting a, a, a large nest egg away to retire and take it easy. And that's what they did. When they got to retirement age, they had enough wealth, more than they needed, to buy the big RV, tour around the country, and they were collecting shells. Do you think that is a good life? A life well spent. Work hard, enough super in the bank, enough money behind you, take it easy to retire. Because Jesus says the exact opposite to that. Matthew 16. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In the middle of the sweetest sermon you'll ever read, Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us how to be mature disciples 
in a world that is completely opposed to him. And he says this, do not store up for yourselves stuff here. How does a person who trusts Jesus see their stuff? How do we relate to our possessions, our money that we've been given by God? Because we live in Perth. Things are pretty sweet in Perth. I've grown up in Perth. Beauty, riches, comfort all around. Perth is not the answer. But here's the crazy thing. When we walk out, even right now, Perth has a gospel to preach to us. Perth is preaching and proclaiming something loud and clear. Do you know what it is? Store up for yourself as much as you can here. Perth preaches to me, Matt, make sure you get enough to enjoy your life here. This is where you get to be comfortable and content and happy. Perth whispers, treasure me. Delight yourself in the life I can give you. And Jesus slaps us in the face and says, do the exact opposite. Do not store up for yourselves treasures in Perth. On earth, I mean. Why? Well, there's two great destroyers there, aren't there? There's moth and there's rust. Moth is uh, flimsy stuff that we buy, clothes, garments, anything from Meyer and, and David Jones, carrying up, whatever you like. Rust is literally the eating away of stuff, the consuming of stuff, uh, bigger things like cars, houses, boats, investment portfolios, iPhones, anything from Bunnings and Harvey Norman. Well, what if you, why can't we just enjoy a little bit now? Ecclesiastes says that. You can enjoy the things you've got. But thieves are going to break in and steal as well. I once took a funeral of a very rich farmer. He said he was a Christian. I don't know whether he was or not. He had thousands of acres of pastoral land and all the toys you could possibly imagine. Farmers, man, some of them have some sweet toys. He had a huge mansion by the beach. Dongra, ever been there? Amazing. He used to drive down the main street in his big F-250, smoking his cigarette, just big muscles, just really huge guy. And I looked him in the eyes when he was lying in his coffin. Where's it all gone? Don't waste your life storing it up here. Do spend your life sending it ahead of you. Jesus now tells us the best investment advice you will ever, ever get. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What are we doing here? We're trying to treat God as God and we're trying to treat money as not God, right? And Jesus is teaching us how to. And he's saying the best investment portfolio you can build up is in heaven. Did you notice Jesus isn't against us storing up treasures for ourselves? That can't be right. For yourself? Yeah, for you. How does that work? When you align yourself with God's will, it is actually for you too. Jesus wants you to be very, very rich. Just not here. It's just about location. At first glance, that seems wrong, doesn't it? 
like Jesus is saying, store up as much treasure as you can for yourself in heaven, and that is how you glorify God on earth. So the obvious question is, what is the treasure? What actually is the treasure? We'll finish up with this. Because the key little word there, I don't know if you saw it, it's where. Because the true value of a treasure is determined by its location. The true value of a treasure is determined by its location. Where? And this treasure is in Arano, in heaven. That is where God is. Matthew 18 says, Jesus says, the angels in heaven are always in the presence of my Father, in heaven. In Matthew 6, he's just taught his disciples to pray, which we've prayed already. Our Father in heaven. So, the treasure, surprise, surprise, is God himself. But he's not alone, is he? He's not alone. And we'll finish up with this. This is a, um, a vision God gives us for his church and for his kingdom and for his glory in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. And this is a sneak peek into treasure in heaven. This is quite amazing. There's a lamb. We're going to sing about him in a bit. We're going to sing about the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. That is Jesus Christ who has died for your sins on a cross, taken the punishment for your sin, but he's not dead. He's standing alive, victorious over sin and death. But he's not alone. A great multitude is standing with him. I looked and behold a great multitude that you could know could number from every nation, tribe, peoples and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There's people from all over standing with Jesus. And there's three things about these guys. All conveniently begin with R. They are ransomed by his blood. By your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. These people have had their sins paid for in full. There is no more that can be paid that has been paid. Everything has been paid in full for them. They are ransomed. They are robed in white, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. We know what that means. That means that is the righteousness of Jesus. These people are as pure as Jesus Christ. You can't get any more pure than that. They are ransomed by his blood. They are robed in white and they are rejoicing in him forever. They're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These people are doing what they are made to do. You know, Psalm 16 verse 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These people are there. They are enjoying joy in its fullness. They have all the pleasures they could ever have. All the sneak peeks of pleasure and joy you have right here, these people have in full. Here is treasure in heaven. Here is the best investment advice you'll ever get. 
Invest in that. People with their God, with no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. People in the presence of their God, with fullness of joy and pleasures forever. People like you and me, your friends, your family, your neighbours, standing with their God. Enjoying everything they were made to enjoy. So what would you do if you found more riches than you could possibly imagine? How would it change you? What would you live for? What would you think about? What would you store up? How would you use your money, your time, your energy? That story about that couple who uh, spent their life working good jobs, raised their kids to be good citizens, worked hard, made lots of money, stored it up, bought the RV, toured around the country collecting shells. Here's what Piper said about that. Here's the tragedy. That couple standing in front of Jesus after their death saying, look Lord, see my shells. Don't waste your life storing up treasure here. It won't work and it won't last. Spend your life storing up treasure in heaven, ransomed, robed, rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for realigning our hearts this morning. Please forgive us when we're tempted to listen to that Perth gospel, that we get it all here and we get it all now. Forgive us, Father. Wean us back off that. Help us not to store up treasures on earth, It won't work and it won't last, but help us to lift our eyes higher, to not be so easily pleased, to see Jesus, you standing in victory over sin and death with people from every tribe and language, ransomed by your blood, robed in white and rejoicing forever. We pray it in his powerful name. Amen. I think we're going to sing.